Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul taking calls. 0818 103 103. We'd love to hear from you throughout the morning. Text and WhatsApp's already coming into us here at 086 to 103 103 and whatever you want to talk about or discuss feel free to contact uh, the programme I am interested to hear from you if you watched the documentary that was on RTE last night about the suicide of a little 12 year old uh, boy it turned out he had been a victim of bullying the documentary is called Patrick Young Traveller uh, Lost now it's up on the RTE player if you didn't manage to see it last night and it's the programme that really shed light on the alarming high suicide rates within the travelling community and it's told through the story of the tragic loss of a little boy called uh, Patrick uh, McDonough. I mean, reading some of the stats that they put up on the screen, uh, I I was unaware of how... I knew that there is an issue with uh, suicide within the traveller community but I didn't realise just how high uh, the rates are. And uh, a very, very moving um, programme. I mean, if you haven't watched it, as I say, try to watch it. It's worth watching on the uh, the player, but have tissues ready. I, I found it really, really emotional. And what's particularly good about it, it's told through the voices of travellers. It isn't, it isn't uh, looked at through the lens of the settled community. This is very much the travellers themselves uh, telling their uh, story. Patrick was from Finglas in North Dublin and he died by suicide. It's about a year ago now and the documentary follows his heartbroken parents, uh, Michelle and Pat, as they try to come to terms uh, with their loss and then they explore the wider challenges facing the travelling community and then the devastating impact of those that are left behind. And I would also hear accounts of uh, struggles with uh, depression within the travelling community and there's one gentleman in, in particular, Bernie, his testament I think was really, uh, really powerful. And actually I did see... Uh, so I think it was the Daily Mail yesterday carried a piece from the, our president, Ma- Michael T. Higgins, because he had attended an advanced screening actually with Patrick's parents uh, the night before. And he was really, really moved uh, by the documentary. And he described it as uh, as a very valuable piece of uh, TV. And he says it would be so valuable if all members of the public could see this film. Uh, he said an incredibly talented boy interested in all aspects of life full of curiosity and within a year had his life destroyed because of uh, bullying. Uh, There are so many reasons, said our president, that I could think of why this film should be seen in every single household in the country. He also reckons it would be incredibly valuable if it was shown in every school. And I did think of that at the end of the programme last night. A programme like this to be shown in schools just to see the devastation that's left behind because of bullying. And I think to try to get the message through to young people, because a lot of the bullying was online. 
and his parents were unaware that it was going on. It was just uh, just before he died, he had deleted all of his uh, TikTok and uh, Snapchat, all of his uh, social media uh, pages. And it was only after his death that some friends uh, were telling the parents about what had been said to Patrick, uh, on particularly on uh, social media. And obviously it just all got inside his head. He internalised it all. But for a 12-year-old little boy, he's just after making his confirmation, you know, about to head off into secondary school, his whole life ahead of him. You know, what was going through that little lad's mind that he thought the only way was to end his life and then his family, his poor mother and father. It was just, it was truly, truly heartbreaking. If you watched it last night, as I say, I would be interested in your thoughts on the programme. And would you agree with the President that it is a programme, it would be of great value if it was shown to all school children just to let some of the children realise, firstly, that if they are being bullied or if they are having mental health struggles, how important it is for them to talk to their parents because those children will get to see what Patrick's parents are now uh, living through. And you would hope as well that people who are doing the bullying, that maybe it might be a bit of a reality check for them to realise that through their, what, you know, that they might not see it as anything, sending a nasty Snapchat or TikTok message uh, to somebody or belittling somebody. They mightn't see the impact that those kind of words uh, can have. 0818103103 and some good news coming from the council this morning in that the Cork County Council passed their budget last night and it's, it's increasing for next year. It's going up by 55 million to 458 million. That's what will be spent across the county next year. But the really good news, I think, for businesses and households is there isn't going to be any increase in for the ratepayers for the businesses and there's also going to be no hike in the local property tax tax for householders in the county. Some of the extra money to fund the budget comes from the fact that for the first time ever Cork County Council will get to keep all of the money it raises from the local property tax without having to give what has been to date a large percentage back into central government and the Council's Chief Executive Valerie O'Sullivan said that while the 2024 budget shows a significant increase over this year's, the local authority is facing continued cost increases and that's she said is across all the service delivery areas she said the budget will enable the council to retain service levels even in the face of increased inflation which of course is currently running at just over 5% and she said it is the first time in many many years that the county council has not had to dig into its reserves to prop up uh, services and as always, when you're looking at uh, any of the council's budgets, the single biggest income strand for the council comes through uh, rates. That's the good business people. And that's why it's important that we shop local and support our businesses. 127 million euro, it's estimated, will come in in rates in 2024. The local property tax will bring in 28, just over 28 million euro uh, next year. So how did the council plan to spend all of that money? Over 71 million will go to maintaining and upgrading the local road network next year. A further 29 million will go to regional roads and that's a combined increase of 22 million on this year's spending. So there's extra money going into roads. Everyone will welcome uh, that. And the local authority also expect to spend €98 million Euro on housing next year. Badly needed. Homeless services unfortunately we're not going to solve all of the homeless uh, problems in one year. So they're going to increase by £4.1 million. Homeless services next year, 9.6 million, Isn't that 
that figure itself is just so, so sad because so many people will require the service, homeless uh, services, unfortunately. And one thing that is planned is a new homeless family hub that's going to be built in West Cork and that will cost about €800,000. And of course, Franco Flynn is the county mayor this year. He said it's the biggest budget in the council's history. And he's, he was particularly pleased that the council pastors have given a commitment to bring the number of outdoor staff. Currently, it's at 354. They're going to bring that up to 374. We discussed that yesterday. That's the 20 vacancies, I take it, that we mentioned yesterday. They're going to be filled, so we'll bring it up to 374. The Mayor, Mayor Flynn said the increase in spending on roads, street cleaning, footpaths and upgrading of public spaces are all very uh, welcome. So the county budget, uh, the budget for 20 2024 passed last night. Anne-Marie and Carrie contacted us uh, yesterday. She was very lucky last year to win what she describes as a beautiful crib. It's about half a metre or so in size. It's a big crib and all the figures inside in the crib are hand knitted. It sounds absolutely beautiful but she said it's a bit big for a domestic setting. So she's thinking about it and she's wondering is there any organisation or a hospital or a nursing home maybe uh, who would be, and she'd be willing to donate it to them. So does anybody know or are you in, involved with an organisation or as I say a hospital or a nursing home that would like to have this beautiful crib with the hand-knitted figures uh, in it as I say Anne-Marie and Carrigaline is very willing uh, to donate it. So if anybody has any suggestions of what direction we can point Anne-Marie in or if you're involved somewhere and you think that uh, people in your organisation or where you're at work uh, would, get, would really enjoy having this type type of crib on your premises. Can you let us know if you give John Paul a call? at 0818 uh, Margaret says on that programme last night that I spoke about that young traveller boy Patrick a uh, lost, lost young young life Hi Patricia what a powerful programme uh, last night I was actually heartbroken watching it because it brought back so many memories of my lovely dad uh, who sadly also died by uh, suicide and I hadn't thought about that of course it would evoke memories for anyone who had uh, a loved one lost to suicide so thinking of you today uh, Margaret and thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And just to let you know, uh, every day this week we've teamed up with the Everyman in uh, Cork. They are holding and uh, putting on they're a traditional family panto as they do every year and this year it is Beauty and the Beast. It's opening at the Everyman on Saturday December the 2nd but the following week, Saturday the 9th of December, we have family passes to give away every day this week. The family passes for four uh, people to go along to Beauty and the Beast at the Everyman plus there's an extra prize. There is a family pass for four to go bowling at uh, Leisureplex on McCurtain Street and actually on the night that you arrive at the Everyman there is a goodie bag uh, for you on arrival later on today we'll ask you a question we'll open up the text and the WhatsApp and give you the opportunity to enter and who knows you and your family uh, could be planning to go and see Beauty and the Beast at the Everyman on Saturday the 9th of uh, December if you'd like to purchase tickets for one of Cork's favourite traditional panto then go to everymancork.com for further details. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. 
Now, from this week, workers who experience domestic abuse will be able to legally take up to five days' leave from work with full pay in any 12-month period. To discuss what this will mean to victims, I'm joined by Maria Mulholland of the West Cork Women Against Violence Group. Good morning to you, Marie. Morning, Patricia. You're well. Patricia, I have to tell you, we've, we've changed our name. Oh, go on. <laughs> go on. Yeah, we're now, we're now West Cork Beacon. Beacon. Beacon, yeah, because beacons throw light into the darkness and guide the way. And obviously there's a connection with, with our own beacon here in West Cork and Baltimore. Okay. Well, uh, West Cork Women Against Violence was getting to be a bit of a mouthful. Okay, so West Cork <laughs> Beacon. So we'll, I'll reintroduce you. I'm joined yeah. by Marie Mulholland of West Cork Beacon. Marie, it's great to have you on the programme. Now, let's talk about this uh, change in the legislation uh, and it comes because of changes to the Work-Life Balance Act. Is this long mm-hmm. overdue? Um, yeah and nay, because in a, in a way Ireland is spearheading this this development. Uh, other other constituencies like Australia, New Zealand, Canada already had it, and certainly there's been moves in other parts of Europe to to develop something similar. I know France has got something in the, in the works at the moment as well. So we're out there, we're leading. I think. Um, and it's certainly something that we've wanted to do in the sector for a long time. And particularly when you live in a rural area. I mean, Tracy, we have talked about this so often. I mean, if it's bad enough being a victim of domestic violence. But when you're trying to get the protections and to get access to the services that you need in somewhere like West Cork, where public transport isn't the best. And if you have no transport of your own and you're trying to get to court and you may live in Bantry in court the, the day that you want to get your protection or it could be in Clonakilty, you know, yeah. then you are going to have to take the day off to go to the Garda stations, to go to see doctors, you know. Yeah, and it's such domestic violence, domestic abuse is such a hidden problem. Do you feel many mm. employers would be, for example, unaware that an employee was a victim of uh, domestic abuse? I think most of them are. But having said that, we would have had employers over the years contact us concerned for a worker and wanting to know what to do well, and hard best to support them. Um, that has definitely happened. Um, but I think by and large, most employers say you're at work and really this is your working day. And, you know, you forget everything else that's out there beyond the work, uh, the workplace. The problems are that some uh, some victims are actually still being harassed when they go to work. And it, it is a, it's a it's a it's a workplace problem because this, they're being stalked to work and from work or being and stalkers outside or they're being harassed in the workplace, particularly if it's somewhere where there's like a public service or the public come in. Um, other colleagues may get involved because they're trying to support their 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 their, their colleague who is being victimized. And so there's a level of a turmoil that comes into the workplace as a result of domestic violence. But obviously the biggest issue is for the victim themselves because how do they juggle work how do they juggle all the appointments getting protections getting to the guards getting to doctors getting to a support service relocating if they have to if they have to leave home uh, because of domestic violence and maintain their their uh, their hours of work and their shifts etc will it also cover a course of control that thankfully we're speaking a lot more about mm, it will but i think um as you say, Patricia, we're going to have to do some work with employers and we're very, very open 
to supporting employers and trying to help them to recognize what's going on. Um, and there's two things I can offer here. One is that um, Women's Aid, um, uh, who are a much larger organization, they actually have some uh, assistance available to employers about the new measure. Uh, you can go on their website and they have a template and, a, and some guidance notes for employers as to what to do and how to implement the, the new legislation. Um, and certainly I know that there are employers who are saying, well, look, how do I know what course of control looks like? How do I know if my uh, staff member is under any kind of duress here? Um, and that is about training. And mm. we can certainly help with some of that um, and to help people kind of recognise the signs uh, and we've always done a, a training program for lots of frontline um, kind of organizations. It's called the three R's, which is to recognize that something is going on um, to respond and to respond sensitively and to refer appropriately. So to refer that person to the appropriate services or, or guidance that they need. So um, and that can be certainly that could be adapted for employers as well. And of the women that you would have helped over the years, uh, Marie, would many talk about the fear of losing their employment if and when they decided to access this, you know, the help they need to get out of that domestic situation? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I suppose for me personally, one of the, I suppose one of the kind of maybe concerns I would have about this legislation is it's really important that women are particularly women as this is going to be mostly women anyway aren't stigmatized or feel shamed mm. you know that this is going on it means they have to expose themselves to a certain extent to say this is what's happening and I think that's where you need employers with good HR departments as well or a good HR person somebody that can they can go to a designated person they can go to and talk to in full confidence because in order to access the, the leave, they're going to have to tell somebody what's going on. So it's really important that there's someone in every employment that can that can be that person, that designated person that you can speak to in confidence and who will support you through this, this the, the process of getting the leave. Um, yeah, I and I really think, important. and to yeah. me, when I was looking at this uh, piece of legislation, I was thinking from the employer's point of view, they need to be very sensitive around the requests for this domestic mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. leave. I mean, many women uh, are not going to be able to seek seek the leave in advance. God, no, no. I mean, and that's the, you know, nobody's going to do that's when they're in full crisis that it's going to happen and it's when in full crisis they need it because that's when everything has to be done quickly um and i think that you know the you know it's it's uh, the the awareness of of what's happening and what a crisis is is important for employers to understand and that everything has to happen at once it's like they have to go to the guards they have to make it or they come to us and we help them make a statement just making a statement over the events that has happened that has brought them to this this particular kind of impasse in, in the relationship can be very traumatic because they're reliving events that may have been very violent or very coercive and very traumatizing. So that can take time. Then they have to take that statement to a to the court, to see the court clerk. They have to get a date for uh, to be to go to court to get their protection order or their barring order. Um, they have to get and and that will take all day. I mean, once you're in court, that's an all day affair because we don't have family law courts in West Cork that just deal with these kind of issues. 
that woman will be sitting there waiting while you know somebody's up on a drug charge or a traffic incident or whatever and she she'll have to be there for 10 o'clock in the morning and she could be getting out at five so God, it's an all-day affair so it's it, so it, this is not the kind this is not the kind of time you're often leaving. you're not you're not swinging the lead here when you're asking for this kind of leave yeah. you know and you mentioned uh, women's aid I, I read their report uh, for last year um that re- recently was published 16 percent increase uh, in calls for help is that being reflected in that increase in calls is that being reflected in West Cork yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I sure. I think when I first started talking to you, I had two domestic violence support workers, and I've got four just wow. to deal with all the calls that we get. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I want to come down on the side of optimism, which is that the reason that we're getting more calls is because there's more exposure of domestic violence and we're destigmatizing it, particularly for the victim and saying, there, you know, we're here. We know this goes on. You know, we, we saw that over COVID, Patricia, when there was so much um, media coverage, yourselves included, and the ads that were on the television. So I think people are reaching out more than they did before. So I kind of see it like that as well, that there's a possibility that actually more women are making contact for help and suffering in silence and as you touched on yeah. uh, women in rural uh, areas can be even more isolated it's even harder mm-hmm. for them to reach out for help absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah. okay and that's why uh, you're always there at West Cork Beacon uh, is your, your free phone yeah. helpline the same number? it's always the same yeah it's just the name that's changed okay. and a few more extra staff as well but okay. I'm still here. Okay, uh, Marie, we, we will <laughs> never let you, anyway. uh, we will never let you go. One eight hundred two zero three one three six. That's the one. Okay, one eight hundred two zero three one three six. As always, Marie, uh, pleasure to talk to you. You and the rest of the gang do incredible uh, work in West Cork, and uh, thank you for joining us. In case I don't speak to you, have a good Christmas and uh, look after yourself. Same to yourself, Patricia, and all the team there. God bless. Uh, Bye bye, Marie and Mulholland of West Cork Beacon, formerly known as the West Cork Women Against Violence. And of course, in North Cork, we have a corresponding group called uh, Yana. Their number is zero two two five three nine one five. 53915 and Women's Aid that we mentioned with Marie are also available on 1-800-341-900 1-800-341-900 and the Cork Sexual Violence uh, Centre uh, is 1-800-496-496 Now yesterday saw the publication of the November 2023 project update for the proposed uh, NM20 Cork to Limerick motorway and to talk us through a programme has been made. I'm joined by Fianna Fáil North Cork uh, Councillor Garode Murphy. Good morning to you, Garode. Good morning, Patricia. And you are welcome to the programme. Now, it's been nine months since the last project uh, update. What areas have seen the most progression, from your opinion? Uh, probably the area, there aren't as many dramatic, uh, I suppose, announcements as there might have been in previous um, updates. But the most encouraging aspect of this is that the project is still on track. Um, the design stage is projected to last until the end of next year uh, when the final drawings will be released. So that's quarter four of 2024. Um, and there'll be a draft kind of design drawing released about the middle of next year as well. Um, I asked when it's likely that the project will go to planning and I was told that that was 2025 subject to government approval. 
And to the best of my knowledge, that is in line with the previous projections of earlier updates. So I suppose what's encouraging is there don't, don't appear to have been any major snags or delays in the process. It's a lengthy process, um, of course, when you're building a road as long as that and the regulations that have come in even in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, in my understanding is that they've made it even longer again, um, the different hoops that need to be jumped through. Um, in terms of actual practical changes from the last update, the biggest one is that the route corridor has now been reduced from 500 metres to 200 metres. And I know that that will be that would be very welcome in terms of providing certainty to people who are living in the areas along the route near where the corridor is just to know whether it will be near them, whether it will be going through their land, etc. Yeah, and are all the junctions and link roads now identified? Uh, yes, uh, to the best of my knowledge, definitely all the junctions. That was in the last update and uh, I think people were largely happy with the locations of the junctions. Um, in terms of my own locality, uh, there's Buttevant exit, which was crucial. Um, there's one, I think, south of Mallow as well. Um, and that would, and I think also the, the one to link up the reef road north of Mallow. So I think, you know, we were quite happy with the locations of the junctions when the, the proposed locations of the junctions when um, they came out. But mm-hmm. there's still meat to be put on the bones in terms of the actual exact route. But it has been narrowed down to 200 metres. So that's kind of the, the good news there. And that certainly will be welcomed, for, as you say, for landowners or people who live on the proposed uh, route. Now, when I was reading through the report yesterday, an expansion of the active travel infrastructure. Are we talking about more greenways for walking and cycling there? Uh, yes, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there will be an active travel corridor the entire length of the road. Um, this will, so in some cases, be using the current N20, and in some cases, it will be ar- along the the actual new road, uh, the, the M20. I'm hoping, uh, and that will be. Uh, th- there were concept drawings kind of released for how that would work as well. Um, and in terms of active travel infrastructure, I think another um, another element that's being proposed are. Uh, kind of park and ride f- type facilities. Yeah, these uh, are these the are these, yeah they've been called transport hubs. Can you uh, outline line what they were? They I hadn't heard of these before. Yeah, so they're kind of similar to a park and ride type concept, except I think it would also be for people carpooling, for example. If okay. you're going into work in Cork City, you don't want to be getting parking for five cars when you can take you know three or four people in. Um, or sorry, you know, for three or four cars when you can take three or four people in one car. So um, you'd actually see it up the country sometimes near kind of motorway exits. Uh, you would see cars parking almost alongside the road because mm. they have nowhere else to park. So I think that's to kind of, I suppose, satisfy that demand of just literally a place to meet up and carpool um, if you're doing that and put the infrastructure in place for that. And of course, anticipating as our cities grow, there'll be more demand for that. And then also a very handy place for improved public transport, such as bus services to actually pick people up. Uh, And of course, then park and ride facilities, wherever that's appropriate. And how can members of the public now find out about this progress report? Uh, There's some webinars, is there? 
Yeah, there are indeed. So um, their update has been posted on the entire update on CorkLimerick.ie, the website for the project. There is um, a public webinar actually on tomorrow. So you can get all the details for that on the website again. There's another one on the 6th of December. And uh, feedback can actually be given on the website too. There's a, a, a... a kind of a public feedback form which is available and they'll consider all those responses uh, in relation to design. Okay, but uh, so we'll have another progress report probably in another nine months, is it? In 2024? No, no, no? there'll definitely be another update. Uh, it, I think quarter two of next year. Okay. That's when they said the draft design would be put out. Um, but in terms of timetable, I think they're doing it quite well in general because, you know, this is a huge project that needs multiple years of commitment from successive governments. and But we've been talking really about it, Garod, for multiple years as well. People get very frustrated about how long, when is this road ever going to start so that we can see the day when we'd be driving on it? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the project was, of course, cancelled back in 2011 and 2012, I think, in the, the depths of the recession. And mm. uh, since then, this area has been suffering for it. You know, uh, all I can do from my end is to push it as hard as I can, which I, I have been doing. I've been re- I've been drawing attention to the need for this motorway, uh, the, the M20, uh, you know, on uh, every possible occasion since I became a councillor. Um, and that's, like you said, reflecting the frustration of, of the people on the ground. It's, you know, the current infrastructure is just not suitable at all. It should have been done 10 years ago when there was planning for it. But uh, the reality is, unfortunately, to to use the, the hackneyed cliche, we are where we are. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. And as, as, right. as you say, you're, you're, you felt quite positive yesterday with the publication of this uh, report. No further delays. So it does look at least now we're on some kind of a track timeline wise. Yeah, well, it, it, that's the main thing that it's, it is, it would appear to be fully on track. There haven't been any unanticipated hiccups or anything like that. But I, I think that timeline wise, it's quite, I suppose, shrewd on the part of the design team because the it's anticipated to go to planning in 2025, which, okay. as we all know, is the next general election. So at that stage when there's such a big commitment being entered into for a number of years to go through the planning process and then all going well to get the funding to actually build a road, you will have, you know, a, a kind of, a, you're not going to have a general election in the middle of it and then another government to completely change policy. So I, I think that's quite a wise approach. Um, you know, I would be hopeful for it because it's badly needed. Um, but I suppose it's it's above my pay grade in terms of deciding whether it's going to be built or not. All I can do is try and highlight it and draw attention to it, which is what I've been trying to do. OK, so people can find out more, uh, particularly with that webinar. Where where can they go for that? It's uh, corklimerick.ie. And if there's any feedback to be given, uh, that's where I can be given as well. And uh, there's a webinar, I think, on tomorrow. And there's another one, I think it's the 6th, uh, yeah, the 6th of December. OK, and just on, on another note, the, the, the budget got passed last yesterday? Yeah, we um, were very happy with it. This is the county council budget. Um, So we obviously have the national budget. And then that's almost the starting gun for 
all of the other all of the, the local authority budgets around the country um there was uh you know in terms of from the revenue budget perspective which is the main budget that we passed we were very happy that we don't need to raise rates we don't need to raise local property tax and we had a balanced budget with increases almost across the board in vital areas such as roads and housing uh because that's crucial in terms of our services to to maintain them in a high inflation environment we don't need to just maintain what we have we actually need to increase it otherwise unfortunately we'll see a drop in the the services that are provided the um there is also a new uh service enhancement fund for outdoor services <clears throat> which uh is 650000 uh, euro which you know is really only a start in terms of what we need to try and improve our outdoor services when we have a growing population in the county but you know it is still a welcome one one thing though that i was very happy with was the revenue or sorry the capital budget which uh, provided it's actually 1.5 million sorry billion 1.5 billion euro over the next three years and of that almost 1 billion euro is going to be spent on building houses um for Cork County Council both social and affordable houses uh, and, and yeah, I just and thought that was that's an gone, that's going to be really welcomed and and I was reading uh, in the paper uh, today I mean I know there's an extra 55 million goes into the budget over what what the council spent uh, last year but some of that extra money is coming from the local property tax because for the first time we get to keep all of our local property tax money here in Cork yes indeed and that was a very and that was actually a key uh, development which has allowed us to balance the budget the revenue budget side of it this year um, but the, just going back to the capital budget, that is an increase of 60% on funding for building houses compared with last year. So projected over the next three years, almost €1 billion euro to be spent on building um, houses by Cork County Council, uh, which there's huge demand for and uh, you know, it's very much to be welcomed. OK. All right, we leave it there, Gorod. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil uh, councillor in North Cork, uh, Gorod uh, Murphy. Uh, Pat in Formoy says every Christmas Cork County Council and local traders are asking everybody to shop local and we're doing our bit here on the radio uh, as well. Uh, but Pat gives a word of warning to anyone who's planning on shopping locally in Formoy. Before you come to Formoy, uh, Pat suggests uh, go to the bathroom and spend your penny before you leave the house uh, because the public toilets are still out of action in Fomoy, not good enough, according to Pat. We're giving away super value gift cards in total. €5,000 worth of gift cards are going to be given away again this year. It's the C103's Christmas coverage. Now, where you're listening out from next Monday, you'll be calling or WhatsApping us at appropriate times. We'll let you know when answering your Christmas question. And by doing that, you go win a €500 Euro festive shopping spree. That's Christmas covered here at C103 with Super Value gift cards. They're perfect for every occasion. Now, they are available in store or you can get them online for e-gift cards that can be sent anywhere with a personal message. All you need to do to find out more is search Super Value gift uh, cards. But make sure you tune to C103 from next Monday to win on the C103's Christmas covered. Looking forward to that and that will really help out a lot of people uh, this year. Now, let me go to some of your calls and comments in and this dilemma that that has come in from uh, one of our listeners. Now, John Paul has named her Karen, and I'm assuming that's the name, that's not her real name, uh, for, for, so we'll just call her Karen, uh, who's contacted us this morning. 
to say looking for advice from uh, other uh, listeners because we're into the season where the Christmas work parties are well underway. Now she said last year her husband attended his Christmas work party and what happened was that the following day Karen met one of his co-workers who started saying God, what a wild night we had last night. And this co-worker of Karen's husband started to talk about some of the younger female workers who were flirting with a lot of the married men. Now, Karen said when her husband came home, which, by the way, she said was well after 4am in the morning. And when she asked him the following morning, how did you get on? He said, it was a great night. And that was it. He didn't pay any reference to the fact that it was a bit of a wild night. Now, Karen has also been speaking with a lot of her female friends who have told her stories that they have heard about younger girls chancing their arm and they're just doing it for a bit of fun with married men when they're out at the Christmas party. Now, this year's Christmas party for Karen's husband is in two weeks' time and they're changing it up this year and they're moving outside of Cork. So all of the work colleagues are booked into a hotel I'm assuming where the event is actually on. But Karen said she hasn't forgotten about what she heard about last year's party. And because of that, she said to him, I don't think you should go. The fact that there's an overnight involved this year as well. Now, she said her husband wasn't happy and then turned it on Karen and said, do you not trust me? Why do you not want me to go to uh, the party? But Karen says the real issue for her is not necessarily her husband, but it's some of the staff, some of the younger females and the fact that they'll all be staying in a hotel and you mix that all up with too much alcohol. She's fearful that it may not end well. So she's wondering what would listeners, would listeners let their spouses, and this can be flipped over for males or females, go to a work party, especially when it involves an overnight stay. And uh, I don't know how many companies actually do that to take the entire workforce uh, away. But I suppose if you've got different branches around the country, they probably mix it up uh, a little bit. Does is does Karen, does she right to be concerned when she heard it was a bit of a wild one last year or should she simply place her trust in her husband? More is in straight away saying, why wouldn't she trust uh, her husband? But Maura did add, as my mother always said, opportunities make a thief. It's certainly a tough one for uh, Karen. So your thoughts uh, welcomed. Are you going, have you been away on staff parties overnight? Have you noticed that, that some of the younger staff just chancing their arm, doing a bit of flirting? Is it just flirtation? Can that flirtation lead to uh, something else? Is does, is Karen right to have her concerns? 0818 103103 or you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103103 and actually when I mentioned that we were going to be talking by way of this dilemma with Christmas parties that prompted somebody to say Patricia our boss won't give us a Christmas party he hasn't done it in years could you ask your listeners if they think that's bad form it might just guilt him into having one yeah I think a number of the Christmas parties stopped obviously because of Covid they couldn't have any Christmas parties and some employers then I think use that as the opportunity not to go back and have Christmas parties. I've certainly have uh, heard of that. And it's a kind of it's annoying, I suppose, if you're hearing of lots of other people going away and having Christmas parties. And then if your company doesn't organise one, you can feel slightly hard done by. Your thoughts welcomed. You can text her WhatsApp to 86 Michael is worried about news that's coming out of China. And this is this deadly 
lung pneumonia infection. I don't know if you've been watching this. It's been sweeping across uh, northern uh, China. And Michael says that this should not be allowed to be swept under the carpet. We need to keep a close eye on what's happening in China. It's not controllable at the moment in uh, China. And China already sending out waves of warnings about it in their own country. And Michael feels now every other country in the world needs to heed it because we know that that's where the coronavirus originated from. He also says it is really imperative that everybody gets their flu vaccine in time. At least you'll have some bit of protection for this year. Remember all the warnings that were there about COVID-19 and remember in the early days, says Michael, they were going unheeded. Once is enough to make an error. We all know the consequences of it. So Michael says, in particular, folks, please get your flu vaccine. 0818 103 103. And Paul Gretchen was on to us, was a little bit upset. She got one of these scam calls uh, this morning. It was one of the recorded ones saying that she owed money, I think it was to her phone uh, provider, but she said it really really upset her. Uh, Gret, all I can say is when you get any of those recorded calls, just hang up uh, immediately because they're just randomly selecting numbers, they're, the numbers are generated on a computer, it's nothing personal to you, they're just sending out so many of them, but yeah, so just please ignore it, you know, it's, they don't in any way have your bank details or anything like that. And actually talking of bank uh, details, somebody was on, Teresa was on with a little bit of a worry and I don't know if others will share Teresa's concerns. She says, we're coming up to Christmas and there's lots of charities asking people to donate. I mean, you're probably getting a lot of literature in the post from various really good charities looking for you to help uh, this year. Now, Teresa said every year she helps out and she does her bit and tries to donate to charities where, where she can. But she says, because we're hearing so much about so many scams, she's now afraid to put her card de- details, especially in a letter. She, she said, surely anyone who sees, for example, the concern uh, envelopes, and she's just using that as an example, will know that somebody's card details are in it. And she's wondering, do other people think it is safe to do it this Christmas? Now, I've never heard of letters being intercepted for charities like that and card details taken. That's not to say, Teresa, it doesn't happen. But if you have concerns, what you could possibly do is contact whichever charity it is, you know, be it Concern, Trocra, VDP, um, Marymount Hospice, wherever you want to make a donation this Christmas, maybe contact them and do your interaction over the phone. You could give them your card details over the phone and how much you want to donate. But we'll put it out there to see, are other people concerned? Would you be worried because of the amount of scams that are out there at the moment? Mary also watched that programme that I spoke about last night. Patrick, a young traveller lost that uh, revolved around the bullying of a young 12-year-old boy from Finglas in Dublin about a year ago. Um, he sadly died by uh, suicide. And Mary agrees with President Michael T. Higgins, who got a preview of the programme earlier on in the week. She feels that programme in its entirety should be shown to every school, both primary and secondary school. It really shows the damage and the heartache that bullying can cause. Yeah, 100 uh, percent it does. Hi, Patricia. I listened to your piece on domestic violence and the change in the laws that is allowing victims of domestic violence. Now you can go to employer and you can get up up to five days paid uh, leave. Anyway, this got this listener thinking. Thanks be to God, I've never experienced any form of domestic violence and don't really have the right to comment. But in my opinion, I've been thinking about it. Abusers only have the power as long as the victim stays quiet. Shouldn't then the victims be encouraged 
to publicise the actions of their abusers as much as possible, rather than just providing a refuge for them to continue to hide. If abusers, for example, were named and shamed and brought out of the shadows, they would lose their power and they would be exposed to the thugs they are. As I said, I'm probably out of my depth commenting on this, but it is just a thought and it isn't a bad thought because a lot of the problems that we have with domestic violence is it is such a hidden problem. And over the years, I would have had the honour and the privilege of speaking to women and men. Let's be honest, men suffer domestic abuse as well. But I've had the honour over the years of talking to people who've managed to get out of the situation. And and they all talk about the shame when it was going on and being afraid to uh, tell anyone about it. And how often have I heard people say that um, a woman say that to, to he was a you know a street angel outside he was a pillar of the community nobody knew what was going on behind door behind closed doors so I think you're probably right if we can get it out from behind the shadows and have these abusers named and shamed it certainly would take some of the power away so I don't think it's a bad uh, thought and I did mention at the end of my piece with Marie Holland I was giving the various uh, helplines for anyone that's affected by uh, domestic abuse or domestic uh, violence and I did reference there it happens to men as well there is Men's Aid they have a national confidential helpline I think it runs 9 to 5 Monday to Friday it's a Dublin number 5543811 that's 01554 that is Men's Aid uh, for any man that is uh, suffering um, at the at the hands of uh, domestic abuse 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls C103 Jobs a shop manager is wanted for a tool hire company that's in the Manway area. Now, some experience with construction equipment would be an advantage. Vincent is your contact at 086 JFC Pumps in Wilton, they're looking for a water pump and filtration service technician. Full on-the-job training will be provided. Experience is essential. CVs, please, to info at jfcpumps.ie Jones Agri Limited there in Ballydesmond they've got a vacancy for a yard slash store person experience of driving a forklift or teleporter would be an advantage Matthew your contact 087 294 6881 and the Travellers Rest in Cora they've got a vacancy for an experienced bartender call 087 1360205. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Some of your reaction to uh, parole Karen, who's in a bit of a pickle at the moment because her husband's work party in two weeks' time is an overnight affair and last year she heard from one of her husband's work colleagues that it was a very wild night and that some of the younger female staff were flirting outrageously with the married men and Karen is just a bit uncomfortable about it all. Okay, some of your thoughts. Karen is perfectly right about the Christmas party. What is the need for an overnight stay? This listener says, if any business or company is looking for work workers to go on an overnight stay then surely their partners should also be uh, invited and actually that's a kind of a that's a kind of a discussion for a different day how do people feel about work parties 
that should work, should partners be invited to uh, work parties? Uh, some people feel, particularly on an overnight stay, why shouldn't the wife or the husband be allowed to go along as well? Or should work parties stay just for work colleagues and not allow partners? John also says Karen is right to be uh, worried. While Michelle in Carrigaline said, I love this notion of the poor, innocent, older men at the office uh, party. Michelle is not buying it at all. Hi, Patricia. That wife sounds like a bit of a controller. If that was the other way around and if it was the husband who was telling the wife she couldn't go to the party, he would be accused, of course, of control. And women everywhere would be telling her, run a mile from him. He sounds like a controlling person. Maybe it's he that should run a mile. It sounds like she is trying to control him. OK, I, I think from, yeah, and I can see why you're, why you're picking it up like that, but I think she is, it seems like she trusts her husband, but she's not trusting the younger females. But I suppose the argument there, if you trust your husband, it shouldn't matter what the younger females are getting up to. And who knows, maybe it was all a bit of an exaggeration by the other colleague who said it was a wild night. Bearing in mind Karen's husband last year, when she asked him how was it, he just said, yeah, it was a grand night. He didn't mention that it was wild at all. And I think that's kind of what's what's niggling her is the fact that he didn't openly tell her about some of the carry on that was witnessed by the other work colleague. I think maybe if he'd come and said, oh, yeah, God, some of the girls were really, you know, outrageous in their flirting. Maybe then she would have felt, well, at least he's been honest about it. But maybe he didn't see it. Maybe, you know, some guys don't notice when there's outrageous flirting uh, going on. And someone else says, I would love to be working for that uh, company. My, my, My Christmas party, my Christmas parties are very boring. They could never be described as a wild night out, uh, says uh, another texter. Uh, 0818-103-103. Keep your thoughts uh, coming in and we'll pass on all your advice to uh, Karen. And Anne then is with Teresa, who is worried about all the scams and afraid to put credit card or debit card details, afraid to put it on anything and pop it into the post. Uh, Patricia, I would also be worried that your card details could fall into the wrong hands. I actually have a direct debit that I set up for concern and it goes out of my account every December, says Anne, that that might be a suggestion for uh, Teresa. Yeah, I know. I think she just used concern. Yeah, I don't know if it is concern that she uses or not, but that is a good suggestion. A lot of charities uh, certainly do allow direct debits to be set up. I know some of them, like, you can do a monthly direct debit, but you could also flip that into a yearly direct debit if you wanted to uh, as well. So thank you. That is a good suggestion because I say people just are concerned with all of the scams that are doing the rounds at the moment. Now, a West Cork councillor has called for urgent short-term measures. And this is to tackle the lack of secondary school places in the town of Clonakilty. After it was revealed, 34 students have failed to secure a place in the local community college for next September. And Fianna Fáil Councillor John O'Sullivan joins me to talk more about this issue. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Now, this system out of Clonakilty almost sounds like something that operates at third level. First round offers are out and it was after the first round offers that you discovered 34 students are waiting to see. And I'm assuming waiting to see if some don't accept and there'll be a second round of offers, is it? Well, that that, that, that was how it transpired. Um, 
there was 100, uh, 120 places of what's available at the school, and there was 154 people applied. But having spoke to the principal based on last year, there was a number of pupils had actually applied for a number of different schools. So until such time as he got a response back from the first 120, he didn't know where he was. He was situated with um, with, with numbers. And last year of the 120, he told me 12 didn't take it up, so he, he had that bit of leniency. But it's it's becoming an issue that that's going to going to get bigger down the line. But if um, only if only 12 don't take the place. That will leave 22 students. What's plan B for them? Well, the, have you spoken to the principal? He said he, they would he would have to seek um, temporary accommodation to accommodate a, an extra class. And that would be a short-term measure and that he would have to work on, on, on a long-term measure to provide um, a longer-term solution for the school because it, it's a growing town. But, like, it, it's an unsatisfactory situation to be in. It's as I got a message from one of the parents, he said, we, we haven't got a place and we have no plan B. And like that, that's an unacceptable way for, for parents to to be to be facing in, into the next year. This this parent, though, in particular, he had gone to the school himself and it was, it was his first son, his first, his daughter had gone to the, to the convent. convent. Yeah. But like it's, it's, the, it's the only by school in, in Clannacilty, so it was very important that, that this, is, this is dealt with. And do you know, and, and this is absolutely not the fault of the, the local community college, let's point that out from the start, oh, but no, do, you know, do you know what criteria do they use to make the initial offers? Is it, is it based on if you have a, an older brother or sister in the school, for example, as some s- schools do? It was a, it was a lottery system, basically. Oh. Uh, and, you know... It, Look, having spoken to the principal, he, he intends, if we are at all possible, that, that he will accommodate them all, but he's, he just has to, has to go through the procedures and, and the process. Um, but he's, he's put in, in an awful position. Now, we were lucky enough on the day that the chairman of the ETB, who was uh, Councillor Patrick George Murphy, was also at the meeting, and he undertook to, to raise the matter at, at the ETB meeting the following Thursday. But, like... The point I was making on the day as well is that Cork County Council have put 150 houses into into Clannacilty in the last year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. There's in the catchment area of Clannacilty. There's between permissions and what people are talking about and and and, and planning applications being considered. There's about 800 houses to be built there. Um, the and and we need like we need all of those houses. We need the houses and we need we need uh, education facilities for those houses. And, um, yeah, you can't you know, ask somebody to move into a house and say, oh, by the way, don't have any children because we won't have a school place for them. That's all. Oh, that, 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 that's totally not acceptable. And, and more than that, the 150 houses, we had 17 in Court Macherry, which is in the catchment as well, in, in the last week or 10 days. There's children coming with those. Doesn't that they can't have children or not? There's mm. children coming with those. They've come from as far away as Yarl, from, from, from I, from Skibbereen from Benden, so there's got to change the dynamic and the numbers there as well. The reality here is, is is that there needs to be urgent negotiations, and that's what I asked for, was that the ETB would discuss it, and that the management of Cork County Council and the planning department would approach the school and see what needs to be done, because everything needs to be expedited, you know, like the last the last extension to Clannacilty Community College took 20 years to, to get there. I know. They haven't, they haven't that kind of time at this stage. It, it has to work urgently. 
But but the, it, when I was thinking about this um, this morning, I mean, all of these students, uh, particularly this year's cohort, all of these yeah. students are pupils in local primary schools. That's so right. the Department of Education are aware of them. It isn't that yeah. suddenly, you know, an extra 34 pupils all moved into the town of, of Clonakilty. They're all That's going correct. to local primary schools. Yeah. So the department know about them. Like, why is this being allowed to happen? I mean, they suddenly, they know they're going to get to sixth class. They need to go to a secondary school. Well, that, that opens another can of worms in that I spoke to Padraig Moore, who's the planning policy officer. We're just 12 months out of, out of a, a new development plan. And there had been no um, communication between the department or the ETB with Cork County Council to provide zoned land for, for um, educational purposes in Tannakey. There is a small bit adjacent to the school, but in my view, that's not sufficient. And like... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. People weren't, weren't thinking. weren't uh, People weren't uh, planning ahead. They weren't looking at the numbers. And we're, we're going into a cul-de-sac, if we want to have a better word here for this. And we, we need to get out of it quickly. Uh, how are the primary schools? Are they starting to come under pressure? Are you OK with primary schools? Primary schools are OK. But look, and I did mention that. I know school in the Bokley and Tannikilty put on an extension this year, but... Tim League School putting extensions. We have schools now at this stage. They're putting on extensions, but they're running out of playground area. And that's that's not the answer that's either. That's not the answer either. It's not. No, no, no. This this is something that needs to be discussed. There was, as I said, there was a new manager in, at the meeting, and I I wanted to sort of make it a, a priority that this needs to be discussed and dealt with, and needs to be progressed as a matter of urgency. And, and that was the reason why I, I raised the matter at the meeting. But does this, does this need to go further than the Cork ETB? I mean, this, does this need to go all the way to the department and to the minister? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was supported by my colleagues at the, and Councillor Joe Callan in fairness to him, did say that, that we would write to the minister as well that this needs to get action from the top down. And, and, and that's, that I was delighted with, with that. That's, that does need to be done. Uh, look, we've seen what the... And, and like, that, that is even the, the other issue. From what I'm aware, Mount St. Michael's and Ascarbor, which is to the west, is at capacity. 
We know the issues that we were in Bendentown last year. Uh, there, there's, there's, no, there's no capacity in the adjoining towns either. So uh, this, this, this is a real urgent situation. Clannacilty and the area is, is a development hub town with the county development plan. And we've been, we're, we're taking short on, on education for the, for the children. The, the word I use at the meeting, I said that we've all known the film about the town that f- forgot Christmas. And I, I think the Clannacilty town and the area at the moment in policy was has forgotten its children. And I, I just wanted to overcome that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as, as we mentioned, there is a convent school, but that's an all-girls uh, school. So the one yeah. we're, we're talking about is the Clannacilty Community College, which is co-ed. So it's, it's well, that, the boys really scramble for places, isn't it? They do. Well, that's, that's another issue that needs to be dealt it, it, it was a slight problem last year. There was a smaller number and the, the girls were with the convent. But there are quite a number of parents that, that want their children educated in co-educational facilities. Mm. And those girls have been deprived. And if the girls want to go to the community college, the space isn't there. It's there to make space for, for the boys. So, like, this is a bigger issue, a much bigger issue. It, and it, it's an, an urgent issue that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, and we do very detailed census every every four years uh, that puts the information down there in black and white so that the government and the planners all know that coming up in a number of years, those children that are in such and such a class now will be in sixth class. They're then going to need uh, first year plays. And yet we end up with situations like this. And I'm sure Clannacilty probably isn't the only town battling this issue. Absolutely. But I mean, there's a total lack of giant up thinking here. There was a county development plan process that was adopted in June of 2022. There was a two-year roll into where there was public consultation, where all the, the public bodies, the Department of Education, ETB, all those bodies were written to, to know what was required. And it fell through all the loops. Nobody foresaw or projected this because even Car County Council Development Plan has, doesn't have land enough zone, in my opinion, for, for education in Tannacilty. And if we have to start uh, um, to change the county development plan, that's that's a twelve month process. Mm. Then we go through planning, go through design. Yeah, we know how I long mean, it takes. We know, we know, we know how long that, it takes. So the, the children this year, and my understanding is is is, is, is that the principal has 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 taken arrangements that he's going to accommodate the, the children this year. It will be by temporary accommodation, as I understand it. That's going to but put pressure on the school, though, isn't it? It is going to put pressure. It's going to take it's going to take away either car parking space or play area. That's that's the reality of it. And if if that gets if there's twenty more next year with another one required. And, will it, and, and it, I'm assuming, will require extra teachers, and we know that that's not that's the, right. that's that's not the, the easiest thing in, in the world either, is to... Well, whatever about teachers, if you don't have the facilities to take the children, you certainly won't get teach, teachers to come in there. I mean, this, this is something that, as I said, and I flagged, needs to be dealt with extremely urgently. Okay. All right, listen, uh, thank you for raising it, um, John, and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks very much. Uh, Thanks good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Gael Councillor in West Cork, John O'Sullivan, with the problems facing the good people of Clonakilty with lack of secondary school places. As I say, I have a feeling it is not the only uh, area all over the country where there are uh, problems, simply not enough school places. Now, with so much bad news out there, it's always good to get a good news uh, story. And that's what we have coming up next, because last August, a baby turtle who's been named Toby was washed across the Atlantic Ocean to Ireland. 
Ireland. Well, he boarded a plane last night, which is taking him home to the Azores. For the last few months, he's been in the care of Ocean World Aquarium in Dingle. And from there, I'm joined by the director, Kevin Flannery, who is a marine biologist. Good morning to you, Kevin. Morning, Patricia. Now, Toby is on his way home, going home for Christmas, so to speak. (laughs) Was his departure tinged with a bit of sadness? Is it hard to say goodbye to him? Are you delighted to see him on his merry way? Look, we're delighted that he's away because, in all honesty, to get him back alive to his natural environment, because, I mean, they're in dire straits when they get washed up on the Irish coast here. They're suffering from, they're virtually comatosed and lucky to survive at all at all after being a transatlantic journey of being washed up here. Okay, talk to me about the journey. He went in the cockpit of an airport with air portugal pilots, I'm told. That's right, with tap airways and the pilot took it in, uh, took him on board uh, up in the cockpit because basically if you put it into the uh, cargo compartment and depressurizing and all that kind of stuff and the cold, you'd just be... Uh, putting it back into the situation where we found it in the Atlantic again. So it needs to be kept warm because they are marine reptiles and marine reptiles require temperature of 20 degrees plus before they can even move. And this is the problem with them all the time when they get washed too far north into our waters, which are too cold for them, basically. So flies down to Portugal and then how does he get from Portugal to the Azores? Another flight by a company called Flying Sharks. They're a company based in the Azores and Lisbon and they're taking him on to the Azores and where the water temperature will be 20 degrees plus. He'll be released in there sometime this evening, hopefully. That's and the it, game plan. Is it true you, you've in the past used the Navy, is it? That's right. We are always used the Naval Service and I, I've always been grateful to the Naval Service when they were going on humanitarian missions to, yeah. uh, to the Mediterranean and they always took the very large turtles down for me but this guy has been so small, he'd be fit into a shoebox. That small. I mean, you must consider that he was only 700 grams. He was 300 when we got him. And now he's 700 grams. We doubled his weight. Well and being so small, uh, this is the smallest I've ever got. But fascinatingly, last Thursday, we got a call just when we had everything arranged of another one washed in in Lewisburg above in County Mayo of the same size again. So the hatching group of that must have got washed very far north into the Atlantic from, and pushed over to us. So this one was found by Shea Farley up in Mayo last Thursday. And you wouldn't believe it, over the weekend, we've got it back to life and it is eating. So, so you start all over again with yeah. Toby gets replaced. <laughs> but just remind us of Toby, how he was found and the condition he was in. Toby would, was virtually comatose and uh, it could barely open its eyes, not a mind move its head. And it was just full of sand and just got up on the beach and was trod on the beach when Etna Griffin below in Maharese found it while walking on the beach. Now, how long more it would have lasted, I don't know, because usually its eyes would, you know, be picked out by the seagulls and predator upon. So... How long it would have lasted, I don't know. This is the problem. But 
we have a system and we have been doing this like prior to the aquarium i had nowhere to put them but i had to put them in the bath here at home and we have worked with you wouldn't believe this a turtle hospital that's down in the canaries and i've learned how to bring the temperature back up and with our vets as well here we have to get a saline solution into them much like a dehydrated person yeah. or animal you get a saline solution into them but you heat the saline solution gently and then bring it up. And once you get their internal temperature up, this is the vital part that you can hopefully they will start to movement and hopefully start to eat. And thankfully, this is what's happened with the last three that have been found in the Irish course once they've come to us in Ocean World here. But it's a miracle, really, that some of them survive then. Absolutely, absolutely. When you consider what they have to go through, because as far as we're aware, the main hatching sites other than in the Mediterranean are the ones because our prevailing winds are from the southwest and all our swells and everything. And the assumption uh, I'm going on and uh, scientific evidence is that they hatch out in Miami down in Florida and then they go out onto the Saragossum weed and there's a huge volume of this weed in the Saragossum Sea, much more than usual and they sit there virtually in the middle of the weed and feed and predate on various small little fish or mostly jellyfish because these turtles survive an awful lot on jellyfish but they will eat small crabs as well and everything else and then when the great storms come they get pushed that far north now a lot of places up the carolinas coast all the way up to virtually um oh uh, off of new york all that way up they've been picking up these what they call coal shock turtles in america and basically they're gone comatose from the cold water going that far north. And sometimes, obviously, they get washed across to our shore. And they've been coming over here for years because I found one of the first pictures going back nearly 100 years of them being picked up here in Kerry. And uh, obviously that time what people done with these animals was only stuff them or shove them into a museum or put them up on the wall. But thankfully we have become a bit more civilised and we've been the time to get them back because they are under pressure, Patricia, worldwide due to the plastic and they can't yeah. distinguish between the poor jellyfish and the plastic. And so therefore, and as well as that, their breeding areas where the female comes ashore to lay her eggs are being targeted for various reasons, for taking the eggs, for eating them and for building condominiums and, and places like that where, uh, yeah, we've got to lay out our towel more important than the nesting sites of these poor creatures. So. Yeah. I've it's seen vital the, that we David Attenborough has done some great programmes um, uh, on them as well and it, it is truly shocking that we're losing so many of them. Do, and do, do you think Toby now will just settle back in? You've no concerns about him settling oh, back in? Oh, always concerns. You'll always be worried about it. But obviously being so small, but they do spend their teenage years between the Madeiras, Azores and down to the Canaries because they their life cycle is basically... Once they're strong enough, they drift across the Atlantic over to the Canaries and Madeiras in that way and spend their teenage years there, drift down with the Canarian current off of Africa and then across with the Caribbean current when they're in their 20s. And that's when the female comes ashore to lay her eggs again in the Caribbean. So I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Look, it's back to its natural environment. There's no point in keeping it in captivity. And this is what it's about, to give nature a chance. And what, what, what do you feed? What did you feed Toby on? 
we fed Toby on the first things we fed it on is minute shrimp and crab, and then you wouldn't believe this is started feeding on on squid and anything <laughs> because it was virtually starving. Starving, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, because after that journey across the Atlantic for a two-year-old for a thing that's only 300 grams, it was obviously starving. So once it got its own temperature up, once it cleared itself out, once it got the saline, it started eating. And I can tell you, it doubled its weight from August until now. So that's, and how, that's how, a great achievement. How big will Toby get to? Toby will go over 200 kilos what? in weight. So, I mean, these are not small animals. This grows extremely, they grow extremely large, the females and the males, by the time they go back in again for breeding. So, and they live quite a long life, to the best of our knowledge. It could be over 100 years. So, we hope and pray, and that's why we got to get them back, that they will survive to what we're doing to their environment and they will get back and keep breeding. So that's vitally important that we keep doing this. Okay, and if anybody comes across one of them while out on a, on a beach walk... What do they oh, do? Get onto, get onto get. straight away and just wrap it up in a warm. Don't put it back in the water, for God's sake, because our temperatures are too cold this time of the year. But just wrap it up in a little blanket and leave it breathe and then call us straight away any time, day or night, and we'll collect it and get it back up and running. That's yeah, you, do. you do amazing work. You, re- you really do. Continue good luck to everybody at uh, Ocean World Aquarium in Pre- Dingle. And Kevin, always Pre- a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks a million. Thank Thanks for Thanks. joining. Us that is the wonderful Kevin Flannery, a marine a biologist. And as Anna say, uh, we need a good news story every now and again. And Toby making his long journey back to the Azores. May he may have a long and a happy life. Some of your calls and comments coming into the programme. Now, I spoke in the last hour with Councillor John O'Sullivan, who's highlighting the problem that families in Clonakilty have trying to access a secondary school place for next September. As of now, 34 pupils who want to attend the community college don't have an offer and they're waiting to see will offers become available and it is looking like the principal's going to have to put on an additional classroom, you know, prefab or something, uh, I imagine. Michael says, Patricia, listening to your conversation on schools and I would add general infrastructure in towns like Clonakilty, but it's not just Clonakilty, many other areas as well, particularly where huge housing developments have gone ahead or are going ahead with no thought for where children who go into those houses, what, where will they go to school? Uh, also, doctors are full, dentists, the list goes on and on. Also, adding additional temporary accommodation is OK, but where are the teachers going to come from, says Michael? And I did raise that issue um, and I know the principal of the school is just trying to facilitate everybody, but I did mention that there could be a problem trying to access additional teachers. And then if you do access additional teachers, will there be some place for those teachers uh, to live? I mean, that's a massive problem in Dublin. As uh, Schools, we've, we've dealt with the issue of primary and secondary secondary schools having vacancies. But one of the bigger problems out of Dublin is even if somebody goes along for interview, even though half the time they're not even applying for the jobs because they know if they got a job in Dublin, they A, wouldn't be able to find a place to live. And if they did find a place to live, they wouldn't be able to afford to live in Dublin. So, yeah, it's, it really is that whole housing situation is having a knock on effect. But you're right. Services we need. We know we have a shortage of doctors. We know we have a shortage of uh, dentists. And that list just goes on and on. And there's no point building houses in an area unless you have the 
the other infrastructures and the other services to back up the people that will move to uh, that town. Um, Yvonne says another issue, it's, this is similar, Yvonne says another issue is the availability of doctors in Clonakilty and other towns right across West, West Cork. We are at capacity already before any new houses are filled. Parents coming are using South Dock. Why? Because they can't get a GP in the town. No forward planning for this issue either, says Yvonne. And we've highlighted the problem with South Dock and that affects everyone. Even if you have a GP and you're lucky enough to have a GP, but if you get sick out of hours and you need to access your GP, you need to access the out of hours service, i.e. in our case here at South Dock, you can have a problem getting an appointment because so many people without doctors, without a GP, have no choice but to use South Dock, which was never what the service uh, was designed for. So that that is an ongoing problem. Thank you, Yvonne, for your text to 0862103103. Now, still getting in a lot of commentary with advice for Karen, who contacted us with her dilemma. Her husband is going on a work party in about two weeks' time. It's an overnight. They're going out of town for this year's work party, so they'll be staying overnight in a hotel. She's worried because last year's party she heard from somebody else was a bit of a wild affair with some of the younger female work colleagues being very flirtatious with married men. Jim McClonakilty says when you mix alcohol and healthy hormones it's always a bad mix or some would say it's a good mix Jim but I know where you're coming from. Nikki in Farron Reese says I agree with Karen and Karen is right to be uh, worried. I'm sure her husband won't cheat on her but it's the thought of somebody else flirting with her husband while she's at home. Regardless of age, many men don't know when a woman is flirting with them. The company also where Karen's husband works needs to realise they have a responsibility there also. And actually because we're getting so much reaction in on this story, we're going to bring on a HR uh, company to join us tomorrow just to talk about the do's and don'ts of Christmas parties because we're very much back in with COVID. Christmas parties went by the wayside but we're certainly very much back into them and they're in full flight this year. But there are the company does have responsibility even though you're out of the office, you're away. In this case for Karen's husband, they're even out of town and they're in a hotel, but companies do have responsibilities. So we'll do a piece on that. I think John Paul's trying to line something up for tomorrow just to let and remind employers of their responsibilities. Shelley is in Carrigaline and she says, no matter what age the woman is, her husband should know right from wrong. Having fun is one thing, but he will know if she or he steps over the line. So don't be blaming the woman because the man equally has responsibility, kind of the old fashioned thing it takes two to tango. Lisa says I'm in the same uh, position as Karen but I am letting my husband go. I trust him but I understand Karen's predicament. Before the lockdown my husband's Christmas parties were always in Dublin. This is the first year it's back again in Dublin so I feel maybe this is going to be an issue for many more this year as it seems to be the first Christmas the parties are back in full swing. Barry says I think Karen needs to trust her husband And if not, it says a lot about their relationship. Unless, says Barry, does she have reason not to trust him? Well, when she was talking to John Paul earlier, she doesn't have any reason not to trust him. It was just what she heard from a co-worker of her husband. Her husband had said 
how did the party go last year? It was a grand night, whereas she happened to meet on the street another co-worker of her husband who said it was a wild night and that's put a seed of doubt, I think, into Karen's head. Someone else says, Patricia, people are foolish to go off without their wives or husbands to any kind of party, including Christmas parties. Employers should take into account that people are wed and even if it meant spouses paid their own way, then there should be an option for them to attend the Christmas party. On getting married, one is more expected to have an allegiance to one's spouse than one's employer, surely. No married person should expect a spouse to be happy with an overnight stay for such an occasion. Totally inappropriate for a married person who genuinely loves his spouse to disregard the fact that they're putting themselves at risk of inappropriate advances from others, for instance. Marriage isn't to live socially as a single person unless you want trouble and you don't care about your spouse's feeling feelings. If one likes the single life, then please stay single and don't get married, says a texter. Someone else, no name on that, no name on this one either. Someone says, Patricia, if she looks after him well at home, if you know what I mean, he won't look at another woman and I don't know if that's coming from a male or a female and I don't know if I'm quite happy about the sentiment in that particular text. Hi Patricia, when it comes to marriage, you do not put it in the line of fire which would be the case by attending an overnight partner without your spouse. And that is from either gender at any office or Christmas party. So a kind of a mixed bag, some understanding Karen, others not understanding her. But some people saying you are you're putting yourself in a line of fire if you know it's going to be a wild party. 0818103103, we discussed um abuse uh, earlier on this morning, domestic violence and particularly with the new legislation that has come in that somebody now is entitled, as in from Monday, you are entitled to five days sick leave or paid, not not sick leave, paid leave from work if you are a victim of uh, domestic abuse or domestic uh, violence. And that goes across the board for men and women. So that led listeners to say, Patricia, I'm so glad to hear abuse against men being included in your discussion on domestic violence. As a woman, I helped a male relative through a situation of horrendous abuse and it was very, very difficult. Abused men are even less likely than abused women to speak up as they can be ridiculed for letting a woman abuse them. And furthermore, a gentleman who is married to an abusive woman, especially where there are children, is totally and absolutely trapped. A woman can leave with the children, but a man can't leave. She will keep the children and without his presence, they then would have no protection from this abusive parent. There is no escape. Thank you, Patricia, for allowing more light to be shed on this area of abuse. And I know a couple of years ago, I came across a story of somebody working in uh, media who had not in this jurisdiction, I was outside the country, who had um, sadly died by suicide, a young man old married man with um, children actually and I found out afterwards that he was the victim of the most horrendous uh, a course of control uh, by his wife and he just literally couldn't take it anymore and he ended up as I say sadly dying by uh, suicide so yeah I'm very aware that abuse towards men uh, is a very very hidden problem as indeed is abuse towards women but unfortunately it happens to both men and to women. 0818103103 and if you were listening to the news there at uh, 12 Ben Dunn is being funeral is on this morning and I just heard a bit of it on the on the news with Barry uh, I'm assuming it was his son was it was giving uh, part of the eulogy 
at the funeral mass this morning. But Mary has contacted us and this is to do with eulogies and I don't know if it's because she was listening to Ben Dunn's son, son speaking so eloquently about his late dad but she said at the moment they've gone through a bit of a, t- a tough time. They have a family member who is seriously, seriously ill, kind of it's end of life uh, stuff. And Mary said a friend of hers was in a very similar situation but her friend's family member uh, passed away. But Mary said they were not allowed to do a eulogy at the Mass. The priest in that particular church believes the Mass is, that's what the Mass is, it's a funeral Mass and that is it. What he offered them instead was that they could do a eulogy at the gravesite after the prayers, which meant that those that didn't attend the burial didn't get to hear the eulogy that was uh, done by his brother. And uh, Mary said she's they, she knows that her family is going down to a similar road. I, I don't know how long her family member has left uh, to live, but she's worried that they will be in the same situation. I think it differs, Mary, from church to church. I don't know if you're going to if you're dealing with the same church and the same priest. Then I'm assuming he's he's somebody who believes that eulogies shouldn't be in the church. I know we would have done an interview and spoken about it I think last year uh, because we had a couple of churches who the priests were feeling. It seems to be an individual thing. It seems to be, I don't know if it's directly coming, was there a diktat from the Bishop of the Diocese? Because if there was, it would be across all uh, churches. So I think it varies from uh, church uh, to church. And if that is the case, maybe you could find another church where you would be able to find a priest who would be willing to allow uh, a eulogy inside in the church because I think they're nice I, I have to say I know it's a it's kind of a new newish phenomena probably in the last is it 15, 20 years that they started eulogies were never something that happened in um, previous years but I, I think it's nice I mean I, I always think it's nice to have some nice words said uh, about the about the loved one because it's a very sad occasion and it's kind of I think for the family it's their last chance to say a proper goodbye and you're doing it publicly by talking about the person inside in the church 0818 103 103 John Paul uh, taking your calls you can text uh, uh, hold off on the text for a moment even though I think John Paul uh, is as we speak selecting our winner for uh, the Everyman and that wonderful panto Beauty and the Beast The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas Shambali Moore Bingo is on tonight at 8 it's in Shambali Moore Community Centre the jackpot there is €3,000 IRD Dohalo Rural Community Health Project they're holding a safe talk on suicide alertness it's for everyone and it's at half nine tomorrow morning if you'd like more information you can contact Dennis at 029-606-33 Duakis Clonakilty are holding a talk entitled Back to the Beginning The Magic and Rituals of Christmas it's happening Thursday, 8 p.m. in Clonakilty GAA Pavilion. Shane Lehan from the Cork College of Further Education and Training is the guest speaker, and he's also a very c- c- popular contributor on the Today Show on RTE. A five euro cash entry fee will apply on the night. And the More the Merrier chat group, their monthly get together, will be in the Gertvera Hall in Ballinine on Thursday night. That's at half past seven. All are at welcome. And Cork County Council will honour Johnny Horgan, a.k.a. Johnny Bongos, 
at a civic reception in the Hibernian Hotel. That's happening this Friday at half past eight. And Mary Coughlin and Alton Conlon are playing in the Glen Theatre in Bantier next Saturday night at eight. Tickets are available by contacting 029 562 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. So many of the papers uh, today are actually leading with front page stories about the uh, riots last Thursday in Dublin and the government response and the Garda response. And I'm reading this morning online that an investigation is underway into the activities and the role played by the far right online agitators in the violence and the riots that broke out in Dublin on Thursday. The online postings of at least five prominent and far right activists are now the main focus of the investigation, which has been led by the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation. And what's really worrying is detectives have also identified a number of posts online which were seeking information on the home addresses of Gardaí. I mean, that is really, really uh, frightening. I mean, it was bad enough what the Gardaí had to face um, on uh, Thursday, but to think now they're trying to uh, track down uh, where the Gardaí actually live and the fear that that would put in the member of the Gardaí and indeed their families. And the Gardaí or the government actually are considering giving the Gardaí more powers to crack down on rioters. And, and I welcome your thoughts on this. The Justice Minister Helen McEntee is asking the policing authority to look at how frontline Gardaí that are tackling riots, how they can be given extra support. Now, the use of force will be given further clarity, as will the tools they need to use in such situations. You know, they're going to look at things like non-lethal equipment, things like pepper spray or things like using uh, batons. They're also looking at the Gardaí needing stronger vehicles and even the use of the the dog unit is all going to be discussed. The Minister believes that the Gardaí should not have to look over their shoulder or second guess themselves in circumstances where the use of force is warranted and is necessary. She now wants the Gardaí who put themselves at risk to have clear guidance on how they can use force when necessary to do the job. Helen McEntee is expected to tell colleagues she's asked on Garda Shikona to consider speeding up the purchase of the body cams. She wants all options to be looked at and we know the new laws to allow Garda to use body cams. That was passed at all stages last week in the Oireachtas but they're not due to be rolled out until the middle of next year and of course as we mentioned yesterday the implementation of facial recognition technology that was previously opposed by the Greens but that will now be expanded uh, to include riot and violent disorder as well as um, the previous very serious crimes, uh, things like rape and uh, child abuse. But they are looking now at allowing the Gardaí because Gardaí are fearful when they go out and about on the streets. When is force necessary? When is it not necessary? And looking at some of the videos that went up online of particularly members of Angarda Shikona that kind of got isolated away from other 
members and you know they were literally getting pucked and punched all over the place and, and they didn't have any way of defending themselves so how did you feel about the Gardaí using force when faced with something like rioting or public uh, disorder or would you like it left the way it is at the moment is it unfair to allow members of Angarda Siakona to go out there and police our streets uh, without any way of uh, protecting themselves and we have this ongoing thing of how safe are our uh, streets and I know with interest I saw this morning the Minister for Transport uh, Eamon Ryan leader of the Green Party he says the Dublin city is not safe enough he's been born and raised in Dublin and uh, he feels that the city isn't uh, safe and the Irish Mail today are leading with the story that visitors to Dublin are being put on alert because of the riots and violence by their own various governments Canada the UK and Australia are all issuing warnings and of course images of the bus and the Lewis in flames that went all over the world as did thugs attacking unarmed Gardaí and shops being uh, looted you know every, all over the world those images were beamed, beamed and that's the one thing with um, social media and of course we had the earlier news of the adult and those poor children being stabbed in the capital and that then has now led to a number of countries up updating their travel advice to their own country and people coming to this uh, country. Australia were one of the first. They advised violent protests and riots occurred in Dublin. Further disruption could occur. They say avoid protests and follow the advice of the local authorities. The advice to UK tourists has come from the Britain's Foreign Office uh, because of the unrest in the centre of Dublin. There has been and may continue to be some disruption including to traffic and public transport. They say you should avoid any protests and follow the advice of the local authorities and the official concern also spread to Canada where their government said since the evening of November 23rd violent protests have occurred in Dublin city centre. They have caused disruption to services and transportation. They've led to acts of vandalism, arson and violent clashes between demonstrators and police. So the Canadians are advising their citizens to be prepared to modify their plans in case of disturbances and to expect enhanced security measures and increased um, uh, police presence. And and I was also, you know, reading about that. And this is where, sadly, all immigrants are getting tired with the one brush, particularly with regard to that horrific stabbing that happened. And we know that the man who is responsible is still in hospital at the moment. He's been living in Ireland for 20 years, but he was originally from Algeria. And because of that, Algerians living in Dublin were warned by their embassy to stay off the street, which is really, really unfair on other uh, Algerians who've done absolutely nothing wrong. The Algerian embassy urged citizens to reduce their movement to the city centre of Dublin to stay away from any gatherings and uh, to comply with all instructions by authorities. And of course, the big worry now is from a tourism uh, point of view. And I saw the tourism industry expert Owen Carey. He said it was the first time that Britain had given a warning about travel in Dublin. Uh, He said the riots also saw fall to Ireland pause their winter in Dublin marketing campaign. And that was aimed at tourists uh, across the uh, country. It was due to run ads uh, 
in all national publications here in Ireland on Saturday last that would have promoted Dublin as a tourism destination. But Fall to Ireland confirmed that the agency decided to pull some of those uh, ads that were due to run. So they, they didn't even want to be sending people from uh, from other parts of the country up to uh, Dublin. So it is a real, real worry and a real concern. But the government uh, are, are trying to do their bit to back up the Gardaí in the hope that we won't witness scenes like that again. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. John Paul uh, taking your calls. And we have our Panto a winner for today. And our Panto winner is Lisa O'Keefe in Shanachiel. Congratulations to you, Lisa. You and your family of four heading to see Beauty and the Beast at the Everyman on the 9th of December with the family pass for four to go bowling at the Leisureplex on McCurtain Street. There'll also be a goodie bag waiting for you on arrival at the theatre. And we'll do it all over again tomorrow and every day this week. We're giving away those uh, family passes for the Panto and for bowling. The Panto opens at the Everyman on Saturday the 2nd of December and you can get all of the details and inquire about tickets by going online to everymancork.com. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And Joe Heffernan uh, joins me this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we're going to go back to actually what I've just been mentioning, what happened in Dublin and those uh, awful uh, riots and uh, looting. But of course, what started out on Thursday was that horrific attack on those little children coming out from school. I think it's every parent's worst nightmare to hear that there's Mm. been some kind of an attack on uh, a school. And you want to talk about uh, trauma uh, today and what those children... But I also would like to broaden it out a little bit. I've heard a number of friends of mine who've got young children saying they were trying to keep them away from the TV news mm. as best they could. But of course, children talk, you know, Absolutely. and I, I, and I had a friend of mine who has, has a child a similar age as the little one that's in hospital at the moment, the little five year old girl who actually said as she was talking her into bed going, you know, Mammy, could that happen to us here in Cork? Yeah. Yeah. And and there's all trauma um, uh, attached with that. So talk to me about, about trauma and, and, you know, what we have to bear in mind when incidents like this uh, happen. Now, they Absolutely. don't happen that often, thank God, but when they do happen. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about it is that we spoke before um, on the programme about the effects of trauma, avoidance, intrusion and hypervigilance. Now, we usually talked about those in the, um, uh, referring to the adult world where a critical incident would take place. But to do with the present situation and children, the avoidance might well be a reluctance to go to school or maybe even a reluctance to go out of home. Intrusion. Thoughts about the incident. Um, uh, reimagining the scenes that they might have seen on television and maybe bad dreams. Um, hypervigilance. A lack of trust and fear where there was trust and an absence of fear before. So we need to bear these in mind. And um, how do we help our children? Now, in, in a critical incident to do with adults, uh, we used to talk a lot about homogenous groups. In other words, those who were exposed to this as against that, etc. Um, so there needs to be an awareness in the way that the children are supported. In other words, like those who were in the group which was attacked, 
the the uh, the psychological services will be active on that. They've already, the yeah, they've already moved yeah. in. They've already moved into school, and I'm assuming yes. they'll sort of do play therapy and stuff with them. Exactly. Now, those who witnessed what happened are another group. Uh, the pupils of um, uh, Grail School Kalashtavira are another group, and then you have the general cohort of young people around the country, our own little kids, that we need to to help in any way we can with this. And yes, I, I'd be 110% with you on. Now, play therapy can be very helpful for young children. They can express things through play that they might not be able to articulate in, uh, in words. Because um, they won't have the vocabulary. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So maybe, you know, now play therapists will know best, but maybe using small little characters, you know, even little um, wooden or whatever, um, men, women and children, and playing with them. And the, the play therapist will, will know all about this, um, but um, uh, it gives the child the opportunity to express what, as you say, they might not have the vocabulary to express in words. So, um, and, and who is that little guy there now? Oh, that's such a person. And then, and, um, and even the way that the little um, uh, characters are being moved around, one has been taken away from the other group. Well, why was that now? And that. So that can be extremely, extremely helpful. And, of course, the other one that can be uh, in the same area, really, would be art therapy. Um, uh, children are wonderful at depicting things on, um, you know, little drawings and paintings. And, um, uh, and they, they, they usually will talk a little bit about what, what's that now and, and what that is. And, um, oh, yeah, and, that, and that's... Um, that's uh, such a, a, a thing happening. So the, the main thing that we can do for our children is to have great patience and to listen carefully to what the child is saying and any questions that they are asking. I suppose one wouldn't want to be very graphic in what they would be saying in answer to questions, but at the same time to say that a very bad thing happened and... Um, uh, and the the big word that I will repeat a couple of times today would be the word safe to 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 tell the child we are safe and the thing is patricia that um i mean we 've been through so much between the pandemic between the pictures and stories from Ukraine and now Gaza and that, but apart from the pandemic, which was very much here. Ukraine, Gaza, these stories are sort of, in a way, far away places. Mm. But now, now this happened in our own country, in our own, uh, one of our own schools. Yeah, in our own capital. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and and children would, you know, would have gone to Dublin, you know, maybe to see a show or go to the zoo and, you know, it's an area that they might even know well. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, they'll be getting... Um, uh, stories um, the televisions nowadays uh, far from uh, way back then um, you know 
huge screens with living color um very very vivid yeah, and, and, um, and we have rolling news service, whereas, you know, uh, when I was growing up, the news was on at six o'clock and at nine o'clock and that was it. So, you know, there, there was a way to, you know, it, it wasn't this rolling news that we have at the moment. It's very yeah. hard because somebody is making that point. Would you, Joe, uh, suggest that where possible you try to shield your child by not letting them see what has happened? Absolutely. I mean, um, definitely not to be um, not to be immersed in this rolling news um, without a doubt. But at the same time, we need to be realistic and to realize we can't really protect them from knowing what's going on. I mean, uh, you know, even, um, say, driving um, uh, a child uh, to football or driving a child to um, whatever activities they would be involved in, um, you know, the car radio is usually on. And the next thing is we hear another story about the awful things happening mm. in Gaza, the awful thing that happened in Dublin. And, um, you know, I suppose we can always um, we can always switch stations to something with a bit of music or whatever. But, you know, um, it's impossible. And, of course, the older children then, and, I mean, I don't think we would be uh, concentrating solely today on very young children, but, say, early teens and teenagers... Um, they're also very, very affected yeah, by this. Yeah, a listener said, I, I did my best to keep my seven-year-old away from the news all over the weekend. Yeah. He went to school on Monday morning and when he came home from school, the first thing he started talking about, Mammy, did you hear what happened in Dublin? The are. other children were talking about it. You see, that's the problem. You, you, you can't, can't stop. avoid that. Yeah, you can't stop other children from talking yeah. about it. And then, of course, the older kids, um, social media. Mm. Um you know, um, it's very, very hard in this day and age of, as you say now, rolling news and communication um, uh, never being as um, widely uh, consumed by people that um, for sure uh, there'd be very, very, very few people, little people too, who wouldn't have heard something about this awful thing that happened. Okay, so your so, message is is to keep is to keep reaffirming to the children that they're safe and they're being looked after. That's the absolute big thing, and also, of course, to mention the positives, the brave um, Benicio, the, the 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 brave man who went to the rescue, Miss um, Flynn, their carer, um, who stepped in front of a man with a knife to protect the children. That there are so many good people in the world and that the good people outnumber the bad people that's you know advice. that's really good by okay. alright we leave it there listen Joe have a lovely week and we'll talk to you again next week ok thanks Patricia. for joining us bye bye that is Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui his number is 086-834-8145 now let me get to a couple of uh, texts before I let you go just on the rioting and what happened in Dublin and the fact that the government are considering giving the guard the extra powers. 
Um, Morris, oh no, sorry, this is Jason says pepper spray, which has been mentioned. Uh, pepper spray only works for a few seconds and these guys don't go rioting on their own. Uh, once one is pepper sprayed, there'll be another behind, uh, standing behind ready to attack the Gardaí. If they're out to cause trouble, then they will cause uh, trouble. People will hide in cars and bushes, whatever they, wherever they can hide in order to attack the Gardaí. I think the Gardaí should have all the powers and all the weapons that they can to keep them safe. Morris on the facial recognition and you've got the Irish Civil Liberties groups who are against it. If you've nothing to hide, you've nothing to be ashamed of. You shouldn't have to worry about facial recognition. Hi Patricia, it's a disgrace what happened in Dublin. I feel so sorry for the guards. Uh, but would that have happened if that man didn't stab the children? It's his fault letting the likes of them uh, ruin our country. Listen, what happened um, with the stabbing was absolutely horrific but you can't say that the thuggery that went on, that was nothing to do. That was just used as an excuse uh, to get out and about on the streets and start looting and causing mayhem in uh, Dublin. Hi Patricia, I used to look at guards as if they were heroes in shining armour. Now I look at them and all I see are young lads and lassies who are just like my own children. When I hear that they are being sent into danger, I wonder who is ensuring their safety. We need our young Gardaí to feel safe when they go out to do their job. We also need them to feel that the state has their back and that the GSOC officials must show empathy with the harsh reality faced by Gardaí dealing with criminals. As for riots, sharing best practice with other jurisdictions could be a really good start and introducing water cannons could be the beginning but effective way of controlling uh, further situations. And I know there was, I don't know if it's still on loan, there is a water cannon that's come down from the north um, that came down on Thursday, but I don't know how long we're holding on to that for. And just on the eulogies, somebody says, with relation to priests and their dictatorship in the church, it's about time they were told and realised the church belongs to the parish and to the people, not them and not the bishop. And somebody else says, how sad not to be able to have a eulogy for a loved one the funeral mass when they pass away. Some priests are still acting like dictators. Will they ever learn that the people are the church? Funeral is already a sad time for a family. You need compassion, not hassle. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick Riches with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.